From Ward C on Shutter Island, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome the man who knew too much and the man who knew too little, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. It's a new beginning, right? Is it? I guess it is. <laughs> Do you feel, feel the, huh? Do you feel like we've cut the cord? We have cut the cord. Uh, Wait, and you, you might be uh, hearing uh, some motorcycles uh, firing up in the background because we are doing something different this week because uh, we want to shake it up. We're doing two things different this week. <laughs> we sure are. And I'm adjusting levels right now because we have new microphones. They're, they're actually labs, lavaliers. Yes, we do. We have lavalier microphones. We're also, we're also, we're also recording this outside <laughs> because yeah. we, it's a beautiful day here in Southern California. It's a cloudless day. It's a beautiful sky. We said, yeah. you know what? Shake it up. Yeah. Do it outside. Look, pelicans. Pelicans. Unbelievable. Pelicans, full view of the ocean, which you can't see, but we can. <laughs> so that... Uh, I, I could take a... You know, you could take a picture of me while we're recording this. Oh, maybe I'll do that. <laughs> and I'll post it on Facebook. Or I can take a picture of... I'll take a picture of you. Oh. Nobody will see, like, Fine. anything particularly interesting. They'll see that no. we're out... They'll, they'll see you're outside. Yes. I'm literally doing this as we speak. I'm not making this up. You know, oh, oh pelican! You know, I have to take a picture. Of, no, forget a picture of me. Let me take a picture of you when some pelicans. Would you look at the pelicans? Look how many? What is that? Like a hundred? Wait, you're, you're missing smile. it. Look behind you for crying out loud! Wow, that's Jeez. great. That's great. Wait, wait smile. <laughs> Whatever. I literally, I'm gonna, I'm gonna post that. Of course you are. Um, and now, Bob, of course, by the time you listen to this podcast, you will have already seen the yeah. photograph. But yeah. I'm just saying that it was yeah. done in real time. Tell us how you like the new sound of the uh, of the show. Yeah, folks, uh, if there's something wrong with the sound, it's uh, too loud, not loud enough, let us know. We yeah. are experimenting with new mics. Yeah, let's see. Uh, that okay. looks pretty good. Now, wait, right. I have to tell you about my, yes. uh, my... I had a mild celebrity sighting last night. Oh, good. I went to a house party last night. I love house parties. Why do okay. I love house parties? Because that's where all the women are at. Okay. It's a great place to meet women because it's a house party. Everybody sort of already knows everybody else. It's not a bunch of, like, total strangers. Is that a plane, Wade? Uh, no, it's a, it's a couple of military. It's three. Look, three military helicopters. Take from, a picture uh, of that. From Point Magoo. <laughs> this is a great idea, Wade. It's working out well. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, 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 this is beautiful. Anyway, so <laughs> I was at this house party. Here's what I here's what I ate at this house party. Okay. I ate uh, four tacos. Yes. Six churros at the churro bar. Oh, my gosh. Six, well, no, but they weren't the long, like, 18-inch churros. They were little churros. Oh, okay. But I had six of them. Because six of those full-size churros would be uh, apocalyptic. I ate about three full-size okay. churros, let's say. All right. And then I had a piece of cake. Okay. And I uh, had a couple of drinks. Okay. And uh, mild celebrity sighting. I don't know why she was there. Because yeah. this was not a industry party. I don't know who this person. I didn't really know the host, mm-hmm. but uh, and you don't know who this is because I, I have was no gonna, idea. And uh, of course, I'm building up to be more than it is. Yeah. But um, Diane Lane. Oh, really? Yes. Nice. That's, that's all I got. Diane Lane. Okay, very, very, good. very beautiful. She's very. You know, she's. Uh, you can tell that she is. Uh, she's wearing the old lady glasses. Yeah. And was kind of matronly. Yeah. Because it was outside and there was a mariachi band and she had like the little shawl over her shoulder. So she had that matronly older lady look, but she's so beautiful. I mean, she's just I, so beautiful. You know, I checked her in once at Air France many, many years ago in my, uh, my earlier incarnation as a uh, passenger service agent. 
And uh, we have listener mail, and we've got uh, all kinds books? of fun stuff. We got books. We got books this we week. Got books. We got listener mail. We got great new DVDs, uh, Blu-rays, uh, and and books. Yes, but you you wanted to read something. I did. You know what? Uh, I had I had uh, commented on this on the Facebook page, mm-hmm. but uh, I was really touched by it, and I know Wade was too. So I wanted to read uh, Walt Dittrich's uh, Facebook message to us on the uh, occasion of our 300th episode. I'll read a little bit of it, uh, not the whole thing. Uh, Back in 2006, already having an iPod for a couple years, I came across podcasts. Amazing. Talk radio in segment form and on demand. I immediately went looking for podcasts in my interest, namely movies, and there is where I came across Mark and Wade. Back then, it was the box office DVD roundup. Remember that, Wade? Oh, my gosh. Do I ever. Uh, (laughs) But it was still, you have no idea. But it, it it was still awesome. My drive to and from work instantly became a whole lot better. Uh, many shows end because friendships dissolve, people grow apart, ask for too much money, or even family responsibilities. But the guys persevere. Now, nearly seven years later, I'm still a fan. Thank you, Mark and Wade, for all the years of entertainment, education, and company. I wish you many, many more. I thought it was a fantastic, That's very heartfelt, nice. wonderful message. Yeah, thank well, you, Walt. It's appreciated. Well, thank you, Walt. And, and we do persevere, despite you know my, my hernia trusses and, and your goiter. We are here every uh, week. And I don't know what that means. I don't either. Uh, and also, I should point out that uh, we had uh, uh, five winners for our Bronte Sisters uh, DVD contest. There were five DVDs available, and by golly, we had five people enter. More than that. But uh, we want to congratulate uh, Anthony Rintala of uh, Evansville, and Billy Milby of Kathleen, Georgia, and Edmund Mendez of San Jose, California. Tim Teets, longtime listener, Elmira Heights, New York, and uh, Cliff Kennard of uh, Pine Mountain Valley, also in Georgia. A couple of them went to Georgia. Yeah, seriously, Georgia in the house, Andre Tashine in Georgia. Those things go together, don't they? Like hand and glove. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, Whatever you just said. I did. And uh, in kind of connected to that, also I want to plug a few books. You know, the, uh, the commentary that I did for the, uh, for the Bronte sisters... Uh, would not have been possible without the wonderful Juliet Barker, who is the, uh, the kind of the premier Bronte scholar in the UK, lives in Yorkshire, and uh, has r- written extensively on the Brontes. She's the one that uh, hooked me up with uh, Sue de Cuevas, Sue Lanaf de, Cue- de Cuevas, who uh, was the scholar that I did the commentary with and who, you know, I couldn't have done it without her. Uh, Juliet has um, her classic Bronte biography is out again and in a fully revised and updated form. The Brontes, just look for it under her name at Amazon, Juliet Barker. Uh, Mark, look at this. Look at this puppy. So that oh, is it's a, gorgeous. Isn't that a gorgeous, Absolutely gorgeous, great big, beautiful, gorgeous, thick book? Yep. And uh, Juliet Barker also has another couple of books that uh, her publisher sent me, which I didn't even realize that she was as extensively uh, a scholar on things medieval as she is. One is uh, Agincourt, Agincourt, it's, uh, you know. The, the St. Crispin's Day, right? The, the, the Henry the... Correct. Right? The, you know, the, the Branna thing with the speech in the, the Shakespearean... I'm deal. not helping you out. Yeah. We anyway, mighty few. We happy few. That's the one. That's yes. The one. Thank you. She wrote that book. And then she also wrote uh, Conquest, the English Kingdom of France in the Hundred Years' War. So uh, she's written some great stuff. So I've, I've got two other really good Julia Barker books that I'm going to have to uh, dig into when I've got some time. And, uh, Mark, on the book front... I have a book, The Greatest Bad Movies of All Time by Phil Hall. Now, yes. you know, I have to say that uh, everybody's got uh, a list book out, uh, the best this, the worst that. And uh, is this one any better or worse than any of the other ones? It's all just a matter of... Here's the thing. If you're going to do a list book like this, if the list was written by somebody who I know and respect yeah. or I've heard of or is kind of a funky little choice to write a book like that, I'm more into it. But 
I don't know who Phil Hall is. And, well, uh, he's, he's a contributing editor for Film Threat. I know, and, 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 and written, written, I like Film Threat. He's written The Bootleg Files, which is a, a column that's been running for a long time. So I, but he, but some of this stuff is, okay, Catwoman, yeah. and uh, even like Mano, even Mano's Hands of Fate, which Mystery Science Theater 3000 made totally. so memorable. But even here he writes, you know, how uh, Manos has the distinction of holding an unprecedented 0% yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes. There's lots of movies that have 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. But so it's not like it's, it's all true. that scholarly. But, oh, gee, Plan 9 from Outer Space, Reefer Madness. I mean, okay, it's fine. You could probably go online and get a list just like this. I don't know that you need to read the book or buy the book. It's a fun book, though. I enjoyed it. I really did. I mean, I, I like his style. I like, uh, I, I like his... It's sort of, it's sort of irreverent and uh, intelligent at the same time. I thought he, I thought he hit the right tone. I, I mean, and I love a lot of these movies, as, and he acknowledges that. I mean, lot, the, uh, the musical Lost Horizon from 1973, which I just... I core part of my, uh, my childhood. Um, a couple of other things here I wanted to, to make mention of. You know, a lot of major directors who laid eggs that, are, that he mentions in here. Um, like, uh, Don't Worry, We'll Think of a Title by Harmon Jones. You ever heard of that? I have not. See? But if it's bad, why would I, why would I want to rent it? Because it, it's got Maury Amsterdam in it. He is awesome. Maury. Edie Gourmet died a couple days I ago. I know, I'm so sad. I'm so sad for, for I'm so I'm especially sad for Steve Lawrence. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, those two. They're married for what 57, 58 years. Well, the you know the the problem is that as I'm in sure this some business, of, you in know? this business, but as a lot of our listeners yeah. unfortunately know, when you've been married for a long, long time, like over fifty years, and one spouse the, dies, the other usually the other one yeah. they just don't know how to live it, so it's horrible. He also includes Mystic River. Which Whoa, is that's controversial. See. <laughs> I like Film Threat. I yeah. do. I, I do like the website. This book, it just seemed like another list. And, of course, The Room from Tommy Wiseau. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of, it's a really interesting thing here. Like, like here's one that uh, goes all the way back to 1937, Shh, The Octopus by William C. McGann. I mean, it's, it's, that's a bizarre little, it's under an hour long, uh, strange adaptation of a play. But it, it, it's, you know, I've seen it and I'd forgotten I'd seen it until I saw it in here. It's wild. Streetcar Named Desire from 2005. Ooh, nobody saw that one. So, yeah, I enjoyed that. And, um, Mark, let's talk for a moment about the John Badham book. Yes, we both read. I read the John Badham book cover to cover. I did. John Badham on directing. There's a chance that we may be able to land John Badham for an interview. We're still trying to uh, sort out the the possibility of that. Um, But independent of that, I think this was a great book. Uh, It's fun. Yep, I did like it. You know what it is? He's very... uh, John Badham, as you know, I think is probably his uh, uh, his two most popular films at least to our audience, would be uh, Saturday Night Fever and uh, War Games. Yes. Those would be the two. He's done plenty of other films, and he does a lot of TV work. This guy is a survivor. He's done a lot of good stuff. And uh, feel this cover. I know. It's nice, right? It's it's velvety. It is kind of velvety. It's, uh, it's, It's designed to rub across your naked flesh. Is what it's designed to oh for. It's a uh, what, okay, there's lots of uh, primers on directing and what to look for and how to deal with actors and how to deal with problems. There's how, a lot how, of them out how, there. How to break down a scene as far as, you know, what a scene should consist of, how you direct actors for a scene, the how beats of a scene, Storyboards. Like but this this one, I think, yeah. is a terrific way to start. I really do. I think it's I, this, this, along with the Sidney Lumet book, I think are two of the most kind of naked expressions of the process that I've, I've seen from, uh, from directors. The Lumet book is considered... The, that's like the Holy Grail. It's, yes, it yeah. is mandatory reading if you're going to... Yeah, but they're, it's they're, not only mandatory reading if you're going to be a director. It's really mandatory reading if you're going to appreciate 
what goes into making a film. I think it's mandatory reading if you're going to be a functioning human being in the civilized world. I think they should give it out with social security cards. I agree. And, uh, and baby bunting. Absolutely. I don't know what baby bunting is. Wait, what's baby bunting? I don't know what that is. Uh, I've always wondered. I, I, I have no idea. Okay. Uh, no, he, he, this is this is a, a little thing here. I'm just going to read a quick excerpt here. Uh, actors delight in the fun of action scenes. The harder, the better. Well, up to a point. They love it so much that even adult actors who should know better frequently want to do their own stunts. And this is where a director has to draw the line and become dad. Countless films have had accidents, even tragedies, as a result of actors doing their own stunts. In spite of great care and strong precautions, actors have been injured, maimed, even killed trying to execute what looked like the most harmless stunt. Uh, in my own films, there have only been a few accidents. They were huge lessons for me. The beautiful, talented Barbara, Perkins came, Barbara Parkins came to guest star in a night gallery playing a runaway bride. In the very first shot, she's seated on horseback behind her lover, Alejandro Rey, as they ride away, escaping from her wedding. The actors had to ride bareback and came in close to the camera so we could see their faces. There was a stunt double on set, but this was an easy shot, so who needed her, right? Wrong. After action, Barbara and Alejandro had no sooner ridden past camera, and he slowed the horse to a stop, than she slid frighteningly horribly to one side off the horse and impacted on the hard ground. Nothing was broken except her pride and my poor judgment, but she still had to go to the hospital to be checked out, and we couldn't shoot for the rest of the day and had to replace her with Susan, Susan Strasberg. Yeah, you know, it's, it, well, what's, what's great about it, and, and on all sorts of books like it, I know yeah. that, that the Alexander uh, McKendrick book is also yeah. considered uh, mandatory reading, and of course the Lamette book, is you really get an appreciation as to what it takes. You know, when you watch a movie, there's something about a movie and the way it unfurls across your eyes that you just assume it just is a thing that happened. Yeah. And the fact is that every single solitary pixel of that frame and everything everybody said and the way they said it and every, every prop and every piece of clothing is all decided upon beforehand and the director has the last say. Pretty great. And that's good stuff. And then also from the... Uh, oh, oh, what's that? Here, is that, is, that a, is that a speedboat? No, it was like a motorcycle. Oh, okay. I'm looking for speedboats today. Uh, and then also, uh, the, from Louise Levison through Variety, uh, is the Variety Presents, the seventh edition of Filmmakers and Financing. Uh, I just mentioned this very quickly for people who are interested in uh, writing up business plans for, for movies. Um, it's not enough to have a script. It's not enough to have actors attached. It's not enough to say, uh, oh, uh, Bruce Willis doesn't want to do Expendables 3, but he wants to do my movie. It's not enough. You've got to have a business plan. And uh, I have met so many people who have no idea that, uh, what a business plan is, any of that. And this is a step-by-step -step, uh, guide in its seventh edition now from Variety for writing business plans for, uh, for films. And all kinds of films, and it's, uh, I, you do have to take it a little bit with a grain of salt because business plans do need to be customized very often. And there's a lot of latitude, and she does allow for that, but it's, uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty great. She goes through uh, all the eight sections of a plan and uh, all of the things that you need to do to basically make investors comfortable with the information that they have about your movie. So uh, that is Filmmakers and Financing, revised, updated, and expanded, courtesy of Louise Levison. And I, 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 I have not seen any of the previous ed editions of it, so I can't compare it and say, oh, the third edition was much better. But it's actually pretty sharp. And then our good friend, Tim Grierson. Mark, Tim Grierson uh, just contributed the, uh, the screenwriting edition of the Filmcraft series on, uh, that has done directing and producing and... Uh, that's pretty sweet. Sweet it's great for Tim, isn't it? Yep. Tim is yeah. a great writer and a member of the LA Film Critics Association and our friend. And uh, we are not just praising the book because of that. Oh, no. We we're we're trying to get into his good graces. No, we're not. Aren't we? Uh, I'm making the opposite point. Oh, okay. We'd be praising it anyway. Oh, oh, I so see. Because you you're not paying attention to me. I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, he interviews uh, all sorts of great screenwriters, uh, old and new. Stephen Gagan is uh, interviewed here. 
and uh, of course he did Travis Christopher Hampton, who of course is so fantastic. We love Christopher Hampton. Yeah. And uh, David Hare, who's so brilliant, stage guy too. Uh, Padachevsky, of course, he does. Oh. Uh, he, uh, he didn't talk to Padachevsky, although that would be fantastic. He, no, no, he went to a medium. <laughs> he did. He did. There was more of an extra large. We should talk to Tim because he can tell us the story about uh, that there was a medium who brought Padachevsky back, and uh, the obvious question was regarding altered states. What the hell were you thinking? <laughs> and uh, the answer was really fascinating. Uh, Billy Ray also yeah. he interviews Billy. Ray. I, I think Billy Ray is a very talented screenwriter. Um, I do yeah, like he him is, a lot. isn't he? He's I good. I do. I do. Yeah. I liked uh, State of Play. Nobody likes State yeah. of Play but me. No, I didn't um, like it, but I, I, I respect, you know, look, he, I, he, he was doing a gig for hire, and uh, he's good. Yep, Captain Phillips, the yeah. Tom Hanks film that's coming up. Looking forward to that. Yeah. And uh, there you go. So, Tim Grierson, who is our, our friend and colleague, screenwriting, which is the latest from the Filmcraft series. Now, if I'm not mistaken, uh, didn't our, our other good friend, Justin Chang, did he not um, contribute the editing version of the Filmcraft series? Oh, he may have. Look it up, go. Uh, I, okay. John August also. John August is the uh, screenwriter of, uh, he's the like, in-house screenwriter for uh, Tim Burton. He wrote uh, Big Fish, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Corpse Bride, Dark Shadows, Frank and Weenie. He's kind of, uh, he's hit and miss. But uh, actually, John August, uh, who I don't know, never met, know nothing about him, he does have a terrific podcast on, uh, on screenwriting. He's a very august individual. Yes, he is. Yes. I think it's johnaugust.com. It's yeah. a terrific screenwriting podcast that he does have. So uh, check that out and go ahead and read uh, Screenwriting in the Filmcraft series from Tim Grierson. Oh, Wait, I'm, I'm getting Justin a little Chang. bit of uh, Did Justin Chang write the editing? I'm getting a little bit of feedback and scratchiness. Um, hmm. Not quite sure where that's coming from. Are we stopping the recording, Wade? Uh, y- you know what it is? Your, your microphone fell down. Oh. It's inside your shirt. Don't you're you're the, the cause of it. Don't stop the recording. I won't stop the recording. Okay. No, no, it's, it's, no, hold on. No, no, it's. I'm now unbuttoning my shirt. It's right here. No, no, it's it's well for for whatever reason I'm uh, I'm not picking you up. No, I'm picking you up. Speak, speak. Go ahead, speak. Uh, Wade. Oh, there we go. I got you again. But we're still getting the scratchiness. I don't know where that's coming from. <laughs> don't stop the recording. No, no. It's look. It's a it's a it's a working. I, I I posted on Facebook that this is our near disastrous attempt. Yes. To uh, <laughs> do the we're, show outdoors. It's all right. It's 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 spontaneous. You know, <laughs> it's like a remote. We're we're doing a thing. Margaret, let's talk about new movies. Tell me tell me why I should care about uh, the the guy with the red hair anymore. Oh, poor Robert Redford. You know, uh, Robert Redford does not uh, act very much anymore. He very rarely directs. But for some reason, he decided to come out of directing retirement to do uh, The Company You Keep. And I can see why he would want to do a a film like this, because Mm -hmm. it's about a fugitive of a radical anti-war protest group, and that's very very, uh, liberal and Redford-esque. Yeah. But, uh, and there, there is some pretty good... You know, pretty good moments in it, but I just think that Redford's time as a director is kind of over. Although supposedly he's fantastic in um, All Is Lost. And yes, by the way, yes. What? Justin did do the editing version of the film. Thank series. you very yes, much. Yes, he did. <laughs> well done. Uh, good cast, Julie. But it's it's so funny with this because the cast is so a cast that Robert Redford would assemble. It is Julie Christie. Yeah. Sam Elliott. Yeah. Nick Nolte, Susan Sarandon, and of course to uh, make the kids happy, Shia LaBeouf. Ah, uh, yes. And Anna Kendrick. Whatever. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, the company you keep, uh, it's got a couple good moments. Really, it's not worth it. I think Redford should just really just act and just, uh, you know, stop directing. Aftershock is a film by uh, Nicholas Lopez, who uh, wrote the screenplay. Well, he did the story with Eli Roth, and he did the screenplay with uh, Eli Roth and Guillermo Amoeda, or Amoedo, or however you pronounce it. It doesn't really matter. It's not worth saying. 
Um, this is just a, a really unfortunate attempt to make a movie that's neither a horror film nor a disaster film, but wants to be both. Um, Eli Roth just co-wrote it and acts in it and then presents it, so it's an Eli Roth Presents deal. I got it on Blu-ray here. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a middling Blu-ray transfer, to be honest. Uh, originally released from the Radius wing of the Weinstein Company, who do mostly uh, their kind of uh, genre stuff, their dimension and other things. And um, it, it basically, uh, it, the, the idea here is that you've got a tourist, play, an American tourist in Chile, played by uh, Eli Roth, who uh, hooks up with a bunch of uh, really cool Chileans, you know, and a couple of them are these hot girls and these dudes, and hey man, everything's going to happen, it's going to be this fantastic, uh, this fantastic vacation, and then there's like a gigantic earthquake, and uh, it, literally it just decimates everything, and then somehow the earthquake turns everything into like it's like a like like an after like a post-apocalyptic movie there's like gangs roaming around and everything is just totally psychotic and you know i don't know i've been through a lot of earthquakes i don't remember all of civilized society in los angeles just disintegrating in the wake of an earthquake maybe they do things differently in chile i don't know so it's a documentary it's kind of silly uh, and it's too gory, and it's just too psychotic, and it, it turns. Then there's like serial killers that come out of the woodwork. It's really kind of nonsensical. Got a few special features on, uh, you know, the uh, the casting and the making of, and uh, there's a there's a feature commentary that is really not that great. It's with Lopez and Roth. It's kind of pointless. But you know, if, if you're an Eli Roth fan, who am I to tell you not to see it? Speaking of pointless, uh, a very sincere attempt that just came up short is on the road. This is uh, from Walter Salas, and this, of course, is based on the classic Jack Kerouac novel. And I kind of feel about this movie the same way uh, I felt about The Road, ironically enough, the Cormac McCarthy film, which is that if you're going to make a movie about On the Road, you've really got to do it in a whole different way. This is a, a book, I don't know if you've read it, but it's a book that is just, it was famously written on one gigantic 100-foot roll of paper, and it is just a, a, just a huge, sprawling, stream-of-consciousness classic book. And if you're going to make it into a movie, you've got to find a visual language that's going to really kind of, kind of do the book justice. Yep. And here is just a very respectful uh, adaptation with Kristen Stewart and um, uh, Sam Riley from Control plays Sal Paradise. And uh, the kid from uh, Tron Legacy, Garrett Hedlund, plays uh, Dean Moriarty. And, uh, you know, again, everybody's very respectful and trying very, very hard. But in the end, I just think that the movie's just a little too staid, a little too respectful, a little too typical uh, to really do justice to the book, she uh, she exposes herself in this movie, doesn't she? Uh, there is a, a, some slight nudities. And you used to work with her dad. I did. I so, I did a show with her dad. Her so, dad was so, a, 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 a a stage director. So next time you see her dad, you could be like, dude, I, I she was cute as a kid, but not not nearly as cute as she is when she's naked now. You would you would say that to him? Wouldn't by you? the way, the dad's name John. John, John. Stewart. Ah. not the John Stewart from the Daily Show. Well, there we go. Peter Weber is a British director. I have a great deal of respect for Did Girl with a Pearl Earring. I think he's a really, really sharp guy, but not all of his movies are that sharp. Emperor is uh, a movie that, uh, oh gosh, it's, it's a little bit, I mean, it's okay. It's fine. It's a decent film. Um, the problem is they, they put Tommy Lee Jones as MacArthur front and center in the advertising, and there he is right on the cover of the Blu-ray. Look at that. There it is. Emperor Douglas MacArthur. He's just and, overacting a storm. Well, here, but here's the problem. It, it, He's hardly in the movie. Tommy Lee Jones like barely cameos in this movie, but they're using his mug to promote the hell out of this thing. 
essentially what this is about. And they make it sound like Tommy Lee Jones was the emperor. Like it's a, it's a, it's a MacArthur biopic or something. It's not. It's not at all. It's after World War II, right as it ended, 1945. The, um, they have to figure out what is the government, the post-war government of Japan going to look like. And uh, Matthew Fox plays the, um, the, the general who is under MacArthur, who's like an expert on, on Japan. He's the one who was given 10 days to basically figure out, are we going to keep the emperor? Are we going to put him in prison for war crimes? Does Japan need for us to maintain this monarchy in some way? I mean, what are we going to do to, to make sure that, that we handle the post-war situation correctly? Because we don't have a lot of time to do this. We've got to fix this in 10 days. And it's a Matthew Fox movie more than a Tommy Lee Jones movie by, by a long shot. It's okay. It's fine. It's interesting. It's historically compelling. Dramatically, maybe not quite so compelling. Peter Weber, very, very good director. Uh, looks very nice on... Uh, on Blu-ray, but you know, leave it to uh, leave it to our friend Pete Hammond to quote on the back. What does he say? Pete Hammond, uh, the greatest thing that ever was. Tommy Lee Jones is remarkable as General Douglas MacArthur. Well, now what kind oh. of helicopter is that, Wade? Uh, that would be a. Um, that's this a beach. Part of our near disastrous that's attempt. A, that's a Beachview Six Thousand. I don't know. <laughs> Beachview Six Thousand. <laughs> Uh, speaking of uh, near disaster, we have um, from the good folks in Canada, which means that uh, it's just a weird, you know, retarded step cousin of an actual American yeah. disaster film. Yeah. We have Cat 8. That is C-A-T dot 8. Cat Ooh. 8. This is a Canadian uh, miniseries. This stars Matthew Modine, everybody. Give him a hand. Matthew yeah. Modine. From Full Metal Jacket to Cat dot 8. In this film miniseries he uh plays a guy who has to save the world when they when they uh, a solar storm is accidentally unleashed and you know i mean what, what are you going to say about a movie like this it's uh it's got some good moments it's a little it looks decent uh, although it is a little bit low budge uh, ultimately there's a thousand better movies that you can watch other than, than cat 8 i mean come on people seriously uh, so I would pass on Cat 8. However, we do love Canada, except Justin Bieber. I don't like Justin Bieber. I got, I got three uh, icky movies here. I'm going to go through them real quickie. Uh, quickie. Icky movies, I'm going to go through quickie. See, you See. made it seem like you That's wanted a, to say that, but uh, actually you messed no. up. No. Too much zombie, Mark. I'm, I'm sick of the zombie zombies stuff. Zombies rule. I'm so sick of zombies. They're on television. They're in movies. We've never had so many zombies as we have now. It's World just, War Z is good. It's just too. It's just. But this is the oversaturation of zombies. Now we're done. Are we done? No. Do we need more zombie zombies movies? Zombies are awesome. Okay. We got the Zombie Massacre from Marco Ristori and Luci Boni. Uh, the beauty of this is, Mark. What's the little look? Look up here, hidden, very high above the title in small print. What does it say? Uwe Boll presents. Yes, Uwe Boll presents. As if that's a selling point. Well, it, well, it's fun. You know, if there was a selling point, it would be bigger. It'd be bigger <laughs> type. Would be. Anyway, uh, this is one of those things where there's like, you know, naturally a government experiment run amok, turns a bunch of people into, a, into zombies, and, uh, you know, they send some mercenaries d to down to the, to the scene to uh, get rid of them, and, uh, you know, it doesn't quite work. And it's, it's zombies. There's no point to the plot. It's just, it's another zombie movie, and Uwe Boll got onto the bandwagon. It's on Blu-ray. It's not particularly great looking or anything, but, uh, you know, whatever. It doesn't really... It's, it's got some featurettes, and it's just... Anyway, Hatchet is the other one. Adam Green presents Hatchet. Who's Adam Green? Why should I care what he, what he presents? Seriously, who's Adam Green? Why is, Adam, why is there an Adam Green presents? Could somebody tell me why I should care about Adam Green? He's Mr. and Mrs. Green's kid. 
Anyway, he's the guy who's produced all these things. I don't know why I should care. Uh, Hatchet 1, 2, and 3, all exactly the same. It's just yet another one of these slasher movie franchises that's kind of a second tier, you know. They, we will create a guy who goes around with a hatchet. It, it, it's like, you know, why would you watch this instead of watching um, Friday the 13th or uh, any of the others? The, the apparent calling card for this film is that Kane Hodder plays the... Uh, the guy and Kane is the one who played, you know. Um, he was a Jason or he's Jason. Freddy or he's Jason. He's Jason. Kane was Jason. So let's get Kane hotter. Put a different mask on him. Give him some long hair. Have him be a different killer. And you know, we've got a whole new franchise. I guess I don't really understand the incentive behind that. And then lastly, Superstorm. No warning. No escape. Um, this th- th- this is worth noting. This is a this is a really silly uh, Canadian uh, schlock film. The only re- <laughs> the only reason I make mention of this is because the premise is so hilarious. I think it's irresistible. Do you know what triggers the superstorm, Mark? Take a guess what triggers the superstorm. Well, in Cat Eight, it was solar. It was a uh, it was a it was it was like an abandoned government project that yes. triggered a solar storm. No, no. This superstorm. This superstorm is triggered when the red spot on Jupiter mysteriously disappears. Well, you know that the, the red spot in Jupiter did disappear in 2010, Odyssey two. Yeah, but it didn't cause a superstorm. No, it yeah. caused a whole another solar system yeah. to emerge. Well, anyway, and then uh, there's there's like a whole science that they invent for this thing. Anyway, uh, this was originally on Sci-Fi, and uh, I, I find it just utterly hysterically silly. But uh, you know what? It a lot of that stuff on Sci-Fi actually has kind of a following now because it's so silly, thanks to uh, Sharknado. Sharknado, which we'll talk about another time if we can uh, if we can get some of our friends over at the asylum to uh, go on the record. Uh, Gerard Butler, Aaron Eckhart, and Morgan Freeman. Doesn't this sound like a B movie? Yeah, like like eighteen but months from now, this, this cast we would be movie cast. They are blaming this movie. Mark's talking about Olympus has fallen. They are blaming this specifically for the failure of White House Down. Like no one wanted to see White House Down because Olympus has fallen came out in the spring and stole all his thunder with an almost identical that is, plot. That 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 happens all the time. You know what? Remember the two volcano films? Yeah. Dante's Peak and Volcano. Yeah. And there were two. Me. Uh, there was Armageddon. Yeah. And there was uh, the Michael Bay one. Right. Remember the, the yeah. meteor destroy the world. Yeah. It's the same thing. I know. And what always happens is the second one is always better. Because the first one knows it sucks, so they rush the first one out. True. So it's first. True. The second one's always better. True. Olympus Has Fallen was the first one. True. Directed by Antoine Fuqua. Yeah. Who directed Denzel Washington to an Oscar in uh, Trading Day. Indeed. And, uh, you know, I, I don't dislike Fuqua as a director. I, I think he's he's pretty loud and empty as <laughs> these guys go, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad he at least at Training Day, which is a decent film. Yeah. Uh, but this is just a pretty, it's a, it's pretty standard and pretty stupid and pretty cliche and a lot of hokum and a lot of pro-American rah-rah stuff. Uh, I don't know what to say. You know, look, if it's if, if it's Redbox time on a Saturday night, <laughs> I guess you could do worse than Olympus Has Fallen. My mother-in-law called us from, from a Redbox in Dallas yesterday and in, in, in asking us what she should, she should get. Did you say Olympus Has Fallen? It wasn't available. I, it was a bunch of stuff I hadn't heard of, a bunch of directed DVD stuff that we didn't even get. For, it's like, what? I don't even know what that is. I mean, because, you know, here we are. We get the stuff by the dozens, by the pounds, and she's naming movies I've never even heard of. I was like, what is that? I don't even know what that is. Who says Package Media is dead? She says, well, it stars, and then she names some people I've never heard of. It's like, Redbox? Really? What are you, what are you peddling out there? Uh, do not disturb. Pray for death. I love the subtitles on these things better than others. The, uh, this is from Image, and Image is releasing a lot of schlock these days, and uh, some of it uh, better than others. This is directed by a guy named B.C. Furtney, who's, I, I think, interesting as far as genre is concerned. Um, the, uh, here's what I think is interesting about this. 
and why I kind of uh, guardedly recommend this over uh, comparable things. First of all, Corey, Corey Haim is in it. Uh, anything Corey Haim is in, I automatically recommend because he, he just he makes me laugh. And um, the other reason is it's uh, it's got a Hollywood angle to it, which is about a guy. It's about a screenwriter who's you know writing this whole revenge thing, um, and then uh, gets kind of uh, caught up in something that looks more like. Uh, well, like fiction, in fact. Anyway, I won't give any of this stuff away, but it's actually, it's surprisingly clever for something that is uh, do, that has been done on a very uh, limited scale. And uh, it's got Corey Haim in it. And what can I say? It's a Corey Haim movie. Corey Haim movies are always cool. <laughs> is that right? Always. Oh, There's no exceptions. <laughs> Everyone's an exception. Everyone. Uh, highly recommended for me, Julianne Moore, Alexander Sarsgaard in What Maisie Knew. Now, What Maisie Knew is uh, from the executive producers of The Kids Are All Right, and this is one of the better uh, parents getting a divorce, seeing how the kid reacts, sort of a film. It's it's based on. Uh, it's based on in the Henry James. The uh, Henry James novel. Thing. Yeah. Amazing new. It's great. Yeah. It's uh, it's. But it's not a period thing. No. It's not a Henry. It's like they've updated the the Henry James thing to present day. Yes. It's really good. It's I, really good. It's uh, it's it's you know what? It's very engaging. It really digs into what would really happen. I mean, I I don't want to compare it to like Kramer versus Kramer or anything like that. No. But I think that it has that seriousness of intent and it really does deliver on a lot of it i just think it was an interesting study in human behavior and it's never like ham-fisted and it never feels melodramatic and it's great and the little girl is terrific uh and scott mcgee and david siegel who uh who directed it uh, but did not write it i should point out um i love them i absolutely love them i think they're just outstanding directors uh you know ever since their first film which was suture you remember Suture, Black and White, Dennis Haysbert? And it is bizarre that they would go from Suture to what Maisie Well, do. you know, Suture, I mean, Suture's just such a fascinating movie, and it's, it, it's, it's just a great film. Uh, it, it really is. So well done in every conceivable way, and it's such a bizarre conceit. You know, two guys, uh, two, you know, a black guy and a white guy playing the same actor before and after surgery. I mean, it's, it's a really interesting conceit. And then they went on to do The Deep End. Uh, with Tilda Swinton, which I just thought was one of the great movies of that year. And uh, they just have a real earnestness. They, they know how to make it just rock solid. They stage things well. They shoot things really well. And uh, this is much more mainstream than anything they've done previously, uh, partly because they did not write it. But um, they handle the material beautifully. They really do. I mean, it's kinda, it seems like a for hire gig for them this time, but uh, they, they just did a great job, really great job. Uh, Mark, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a mention of a movie here that uh, you're going to hate the title of, so I'm going to just give you a chance to make fun of it. It's called Raising Izzy. Go ahead, make fun. Uh, I love this film. Okay. Uh, this is one of those movies that gets the, um, uh, the family's seal of approval because it was originally seen on a network I've never heard of called Uplifting Entertainment, uh, the Up Network. I've never heard of the Up Network, but it gets like these five Dove Foundation seals that these movies always seem to get. And um, so there it is. Anyway, it's uh, it is a family. It's I don't want it's it's it follows nicely on the Maisie New thing. This is basically about two girls who are orphaned, and uh, they um, they are they they create a new family with one girl's teacher and her husband who are childless. The teacher and her husband are black. The two girls are white, and there you go. You have this wonderful heart heart melting story of. You know, two broken families that come together as one. It's like a Brady Bunch for the 21st century or something. It's really sweet. It's really well acted. Uh, Vanessa Williams, Rockman Dunbar, Victoria Elizabeth Staley, and Kyla Kennedy make for an unbelievably unrecognizable cast. Like, you go, who? 
But you know what? They're all really earnest, and it's a very sweet film. And even though I, I would love to make fun of the Up Network, which I've never heard of, I, it's it's sweet. It's you know, it's made for its audience. They did a good job. Wait, uh, 2013 was a, was a uh, an amazing year. You know why? Why? It's a year that really was a watershed year in yes. movie history. Yes, Because it it's was. the year where we finally got to see I know. Robert De Niro and Katherine Heigl in a film And together. I've waited. You know how long I've waited for that pairing? <laughs> I serious. I, it's just, I just thought, when are those two going to finally get together and do a movie? Uh, well, Come on. they've done it. In uh, The Big Wedding, which is a useless piece of crap from oh. uh, director uh, uh, Justin Zachman, who wrote is that a uh, speed The Bucket boat? List, huh? Is that a speedboat? All I know is that there's music in the back. Can you hear that music? I don't hear the music. I just hear engines. Okay, fine. I think that's a speedboat. So the big wedding is about a big wedding. And, okay. uh, of course, because uh, it has a white cover, that means it's yeah. like a very, uh, it's, it's really meant for the ladies. It's got a white cover, <laughs> right? Just like, the, just like the kid stuff always has like a pink kinda cover. Like, kind of like the next one that I'm going to talk about. Yeah, that same is kinda, true. Same kind of cover. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this, <laughs> I, I, I don't I, I mean, how do you get Robert De Niro to do, I know De Niro will do anything. I get that. Yeah. But how do you get him to do this? I don't know. Robin Williams, Diane no Keaton, Susan Sarandon. I mean, th- I mean, look. Just De Niro, Sarandon, Keaton, Williams, those four, <laughs> I would go see that movie. I would go see any movie that they were all four appeared oh, in, except for this movie. Okay, we only have a... <laughs> it's just a useless piece of crap, this movie. We, we, Are you kidding me? We only have a few more movies to yeah. talk about. Have been talking for an hour already? No, no, no. We have a few more to talk about before we do uh, listener mail. Oh. Um, the next movie I'm going to talk about, Mark, just like you said, you know, when are Robert De Niro and Katherine Heigl going to do a movie together? I've, for years, I have been saying, when can we expect Brooke Shields, Daryl Hannah, Virginia Madsen, Wanda Sykes, and Cameron Monheim to get together and do a movie together? I, it's, a, it's the 40-something, uh, <laughs> it's the 40-something girl brigade. What is that? Well, I mean, it's, I guess it's a decent cast, but anyway, it's called The Hot Flashes. Yeah, but look at that Ooh. cast. But look, who's going to hire, Ooh. when was the last time Daryl Hannah did anything? Virginia Madsen, she gets work yeah. sometimes. Well, you know, Brooke Shields. I know. Uh, you know. It's about a bunch of women who were really great basketball players in high school. They're now in their 40s. And uh, they, uh, they come together to challenge a high school, a current high, a team of high school champs in order to raise money for breast cancer prevention. Oh, God. So now <laughs> it's got, it has, has a guilt factor to make you want to rent it. <laughs> You're like, oh my goodness! How much money from the DVD sale goes toward breast cancer? I've got to do it. By the way, you re- you realize that uh, Oliver Stone once said that the only actress she- he could never ever work with because she was so horrible, yes. and impossible to direct, yes, Daryl Hannah. Really? In Wall Street? Really? Yes. That is interesting. Well, anyway, uh, the the plus on this is it's actually not bad. Susan Seidelman directed this. Really? You, yeah, you would look at this and I you'd go, "Oh, it. that just sounds dreadful." Like all these actresses are out there playing basketball. And it's like a it's an underdog. It's an old. It's like the old guys playing the the young with the with women and breast. I just had how cloying. But Susan Seidelman's got a little edge to her, and uh, it, I got I got to be honest with you, it's 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 surprisingly entertaining. Brooke Shields is very very good in it, um, uh, and. Uh, you know, Virginia Madsen is really good. Wanda Sykes kind of gets on my nerves a little bit. Uh, she's a little bit too improv-y here, the, a little bit too much of what she usually does. But you know what? Brooke Shields holds it together very, very nicely. Very good. And uh, they've got, you know, obviously charity partners involved. So some portion of the money obviously goes toward, uh, you know, something worthwhile. All right. I'm not spending more than 10 seconds talking about Chihuahua 2, which is a uh, movie T-O-O. for kids. T-O-O-2. Which is a movie about a uh, yeah. dog. It's about a dog and a ghost dog. See, there's oh. a dog who really does exist. Woof, woof. And the house that the dog moves into with his family is haunted by another dog named Sophie. Yeah. 
and so is a chihuahua. Okay, that's great. Look, it's an angel chihuahua. Oh, Stupid dogs. They're so right. dumb. Two more movies. One uh, by, by two directors who really should be mentioned in the same breath. We, we know that uh, on a daily basis, and millions of times around the world, people constantly talk about Michael Bay and Terrence Malick in the same breath. They do. I do. And uh, they usually say, um, I, I love Terrence Malick. I'm so glad he's not Michael Bay. Uh, to the Wonder is a uh, is, is probably the fastest turnaround we've ever had for a Terrence Malick film. It's like he, he did uh, Tree of Life, and then bam, To the Wonder comes out uh, almost instantaneously. This is a gorgeous movie. I know a lot of people looked at it and said it's, it's, like, uh, it's like a really just unbelievably self-indulgent, self-parodying version of Tree of Life done on the cheap. Um, you know, with Ben Affleck thrown in there to try and have a name. But I got to tell you, it's a beautiful film. It is. You are it, such an apologist for him. You I, really I, are. Well, look, here's the thing. If you go into a Terrence Malick movie, you know what you're getting. It's a Terrence Malick movie. Yes, it's going to be a lot of just rapturous, dreamlike imagery and a lot of voiceover. Just tell me something. Say something. Touch me in some way. And when it, I say touch me in some way, Ben I Affleck. Mean, uh, yes. Ben Affleck. There, there are basically. Here's what's going on here. There's a lot of flashback and a lot of present day. Ben Affleck is, a, is an American guy who has uh, two different relationships in this movie. One with Olga Kurylenko and the other with Rachel McAdams. And it spans Europe and it spans the United States. And there, there's this uh, amazing kind of history of love and loss and regret and, and you know, commitment that he goes through between these two women, the way the, two, the, the relationships kind of plug together in his life. It's really fascinating. And then you have this alternate story with Javier Bardem, which is kind of associated where he's a priest uh, who's, you know, struggling with all of these religious issues. And it's just, it's this beautiful existential romantic meditation, unbelievably well photographed uh, by Emmanuel Lubetsky, who, of course, did Tree of Life and, uh, you know, uh, all the Quaron stuff. Uh, That's right. Oh, he's brilliant. You know. Uh, Star Wars? Yes, exactly. No, he's got gravity coming out. Yes, can't um, wait. Yeah, and of course, the Children of Men, the amazing shot. You know, uh, Emmanuel is just, he's just a brilliant cinematographer, and this is such a gorgeous movie. Um, a, a few extras on here, you know, the trailer and some uh, featurette stuff. Nothing that's really, really amazing. But uh, the movie itself is just so gorgeous. The, the Blu-ray is spectacular. Magnolia just knocked it way out of the park. And it's, I wish there were more extras, but, you know, that said, it is just a wonderful Blu-ray. So add it to your Terrence Malick collection. Wait, here's something you won't be adding to your Terrence Malick collection. It's the best Michael Bay film in at least a decade. I, I you got to admit, it is. I don't know what to say. We're like, pain and gain. Because all he's been making are Transformers movies. This And, and then he had the, the horrible thing with Ewan McGregor. What was that damn thing? The Island? Oh my gosh, it was dreadful. I, I, this is it, the best film he's made in a decade. Give it, him some credit. It does seem weird that compared to everything else that he's done before, yeah. pain and gain is like... His personal passion project, <laughs> right? I mean, how does this film become somebody's passion project? I don't know. Because really, it's just like it, it winds up revealing itself as being another Michael Bay film. It's it's based on a true story. It's about these two personal trainers who kidnap this guy, and uh, craziness ensues. It's, de- it's 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 a black comedy, definitely. Uh, it's very sleazy, and it's crude, and it's kind of ugly, and it's Michael Bay. You know, this yeah. is uh, this is Michael Bay light. This is Michael Bay being uh, uh, being lighthearted. Yeah, well. And what's funny, because it's funny, when Michael Bay is lighthearted, the women still get treated like crap, because all the women characters are just sluts or sleazy or they're stupid or whatever. And, uh, you know, I just don't know what to make of this. I I always, I do like The Rock. I like The Rock. I like The Rock. Here's what I make of it. I like Mark Wahlberg. I like The Rock. I wasn't bored. Wade Major. Digigods. That's my quote. It's really hard to be bored at anybody. (laughs) You know what? Actually, that's not true. It's sometimes... A movie like Transformers to me, there it's there, it's so cacophonous yeah. and moves so fast that I do get bored because there's no pace to it. It just goes zero to sixty and doesn't stop, and that's just boring. Yeah, 
It's got a real Florida, Miami, Vice kind of well, it's shot, greasiness it, to it. Yeah, well, that's well, also the that. way it was shot. It was yeah. shot with those, sort of these blooming colors, and everything was shot with like the sun just bleaching out everything. Now, before we get to listener mail, Mark, tell me uh, some of the some of the stuff that people have been sending in to, uh, for our, our outros. Time to check the gate. It's a wrap. Well, we we've narrowed it down. Got to bake. You've just been. J- <laughs> Got a bake. You, you just been J dated. <laughs> no, hey, no, hey, you know what? You know what? That's the, a wrap. Don't stop the recorder. You don't get to eat what I what what, what I baked. I here's what I baked. I baked bacon and white cheddar scones. <laughs> that was Mario Mario Mendez sent in. Got a bake, and you've just been J dated. I thought those were hysterical. I baked bacon and white cheddar scones. Yeah. Bouchon cookbook. Yeah. It was like a fifty dollar cookbook. Really good. And from a Martha Stewart book of cookies, I made. Uh, Chocolate malt sandwich cookies. Oh, chocolate malt sandwich cookies. None of which you can have. I don't know what that means. That's delicious. Uh, so, Joseph R. King uh, said, I've been a listener for some time. Appreciate you two truly know your industry and can pull filmmakers' names just off the top of your head in seconds flat. Anyway, I have a website I'd love if you can mention. Remember, we asked people to plug stuff. He said, uh, is you enjoy shamelessly promoting people? Fashionandvideogames.com is a style guide for the technologically endowed. In other words, it's fashion and lifestyle guide for nerds from a nerd. Uh, so there you go, fashionandvideogames.com. Go and give Joseph Mar some love at his, uh, at his website. That's our shameless plug for his website. Ooh, I'm getting some all kinds of noise here. I'm going to have to figure out. I wonder if this is because we're outside or is it the new microphones? <laughs> I'm going to have to uh, troubleshoot some of this. Our final episode, hmm. ladies and gentlemen. Hmm. Troubleshoot. Well, maybe it's your phone. Uh, you know, it could be my phone. phone. Maybe. I'm going to move my phone over here. Yeah, that doesn't help. It's a round table. It's it's, it's equal. It's equidistant to me, dude. It's <laughs> so like, you're saying I need to? Like, okay, it's, like, it's like knights of the round table. Okay. I'm going to take the phone and I'm going to move it over here. No, see, but you. The only reason you can do this is because you have a lav on. How about that? Yeah, I'm still getting it, so it's not the phone. Oh, fine. Then I'm taking my phone back. Bring your phone back. All right, uh, Timothy Struble. You realize that if this was our first show, we never would have made it to 300. I know. It's ridiculous. But I, I think we've earned enough goodwill over 300 shows that we can have one horrible show. Uh, Timothy Struble says, uh, I wish to purchase Alfred Hitchcock's Lifeboat. I noticed it's the on- it is only on Blu-ray in Region B for the UK. Will this work on my North American PlayStation 3? Secondly, have you heard if the 13th Warrior will be put on Blu-ray? I know this is a massive theatrical flop, but I actually enjoyed it. As always, keep doing a great job on the podcast. Um, the... Um, you you can play it on uh, the PlayStation Three with a hack. I I, I send him the uh, the information on that. I can't vouch for that, Mark. Have you ever tried hacking your PlayStation Three to play Region B stuff? You know, I I will either get you know Region A stuff, yeah. or I will get Region Free stuff. Yeah. I'm not really into the hacking thing. Yeah. I prefer not to do that. Well, you know, it's, uh, anybody has tried that, we would invite you to weigh in. And also, as far as the 13th Warrior is concerned, that's a guilty pleasure for me. I'm a big fan of that as well, even as far back as when they were you know, promoting it as the, uh, the, the, the what was it, the, the, the Death Eaters, the, the something eaters. Anyway, um, ooh, was that a speedboat? That was a motorcycle. Damn, okay. Uh, the problem with that is that it was a pre-Bob Iger film at Disney, and uh, it's considered a big mistake and not something that is easily brandable for Disney. And Disney has been consistently ignoring, uh, you know, like Down and Out in Beverly Hills and Touchstone titles and Hollywood Pictures titles and anything that doesn't look like an easily brandable Disney title right now. 
uh, just doesn't get any love over at Disney, and they're not really doing any output deals. So I don't see that coming out for quite a while. I got to be honest. I hate to say that, but uh, I don't see that coming onto Blu-ray for a very long time. Maybe another, you know, it could be like two years if ever. Uh, Walter Gass, I wanted to ask about two movies and their chances for Blu-ray release. Uh, the first is Blake Edwards' Great Race. I adore this movie and wish it would get the high-def treatment. When do you, what do you think its chances are? Also, am I the only person who really loves Robert Altman's Popeye? I, would I lo- love Popeye! I would love to see a high-def release, but I doubt I ever will. What do you think? Thanks and keep up the great work. Popeye, Popeye, Popeye. Hey, hey look, you know, uh, Richard Libertini, good friend of mine, uh, he played Giesel in that. I, rem- you know, I remember uh, when he was shooting that, you know? Um, that was that was awesome. They were in Malta, and it just it oh, was it's, it's, it's a fun film. It's it a really great, fun it's, film. It's 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 such a weird piece of directing casting. Like yeah. Robert, I get Robert Altman. There's a lot of characters, and they're cross pollinating. And Robert Altman obviously was yeah. the master of that. So it's a weird but justifiable directing choice. Pelicans. Yeah, pelicans. Um, anyway, uh, you know, the, the Great Race, uh, we've talked about on the, in the past. It didn't do well on DVD the first time it came out. I don't know that it's going to get a high-def treatment unless they do it as part of their um, Warner Archive manufacturer-on-demand deal, which I think they may do at some point, but I, I don't see it happening for like a year or so. Uh, Popeye is interesting. I would have said that uh, no way was that going to happen. Jeez, look at, all the, look at all the pelicans. Mark, what is that, like 50, 100? It's no, like, like a lot of birds. Fifteen. Fifteen? That's not fifteen. That's like forty birds. That is not forty birds. That's like oh, 40 you mean birds. those and those? Yeah, the whole the whole thing. Oh well, maybe they're attacking. It's an Alfred Hitchcock. This, this is very entertaining pod. This yes, is very entertaining is. audio for our. That is our, a plane. Huh? That's not a speedboat, but that's a plane. That's that like is, a Cessna. That is a plane. Wave to the man. He's taking photographs of us. It's the it's the uh, it's the it's the government spying on us. Discreetly, it's the NSA. I right, keep reading. NSA and it's Cessna. Uh, Popeye would never have come out, I don't think, until Paramount cut this new deal with Warner Brothers, where all of their stuff is now uh, going to be released. Like, Paramount's classic films, they don't give a crap about. But they're going to let Warner Brothers do it. So all of film, between all of films and Warner Brothers, I guarantee you Popeye's going to be out in high def soon. So uh, maybe not this year, but certainly uh, in the next year or so. And... Um, Anthony Mateus writes, what is the deal with IMDb and photos? It seems like 99% of movies older than five years have nothing but photos of box art. Uh, Why is that? And more importantly, why doesn't anybody talk about DVD and VOD revenue? I understand the metrics have changed, uh, but a decade ago, DVD revenue would have been a hot topic. Now, after the industry sites, all they seem to discuss is box office revenue. Is there a reason that nobody talks about the revenue from a movie after the theater? Mark, you want to answer that one first? No, you answer it first, because you're smart. Well, no. The re- the reason is it's it's just uh, the, it's all changing right now, and uh, there's no reason to report things that don't have a marketing purpose. Um, there's no you know it's it's just not going to do you any favors if you report on those numbers after the fact. So they don't they don't really care. And VOD is nobody can quite figure out what VOD numbers mean. So there's no way to spin them so that they sound sexy. Uh, as See, for that, that's the thing with VOD. The thing yeah. with, it, it, the thing with VOD is that you know a hundred thousand people. Watch something on VOD. Yeah, is that a lot? Yeah, is that a lot compared to what? You know, really, there's no baseline no. measure of success. No. in VOD. No. In, in in theatrical film, oh, it made over 100 million dollars. It's a hit. I get that. Yeah, and, and by the way, it's the same. It's the same reason why Netflix is smart for not releasing uh, numbers for the amount of people who are watching uh, House of Cards and Orange Is the New Black. Right. Because A, what if it's not a lot of people? Yeah. B, uh, what constitutes a lot of people? We don't know. And C, 
what do they care as long as these shows keep generating new subscribers? True. So really, there's no reason to report those sorts of numbers until there's some sort of industry standard as to what constitutes a successful VOD release, a successful Netflix show. Now, I've, I've been watching. Now, wait, I'm not sure if you've seen House of, uh, House of uh, Cards, games, House of Cards. No, the, I have. The Kevin Spacey thing. Yeah. It's good. No, it is good. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's really good. I'm on board. Totally. I'm 100% on board. Uh, so, and as for the other thing, on the, why are the, uh, the photos on the IMDb? Because the IMDb is like wiki. It's, it's uh, user maintained, you know? So it's, um, uh, unless it's, it, it, everything before a certain date, it, it, the only reason that any artwork would be up there was if somebody who has an interest in the movie actually would upload it themselves. So, uh, there just isn't any interest with the older movies. It's all about promoting things now. So that's the, that, there's the story. All right, we're going to go through some classic movies and then uh, wrap out the show, Mark. Uh, a, a personal favorite of mine, in fact, I'm going to take this. You're damn right you are. Really? Yeah. Funky Wade. Is uh, The Driver. Now, those who have seen uh, Nicholas Winding Refn's Drive with uh, Ryan Gosling, they may note some similarities between that film and this film from 1978. This stars Ryan O'Neill as a getaway driver. We don't really ever know his name. All we know is that he's being chased by a cop played by Bruce Dern. And it was directed by Walter Hill, who, of course, is a great action director. He directed 48 Hours and a bunch of other terrific movies. And uh, this is one of those existential, noirish sort of films. It's a cool early Walter Hill film. Yes. It is. The it Driver. Is, yeah. I like Definitely very cool. Very cool Walter Hill film. You see, you see him emerging as, as a serious talent. So The Driver recommended. If, yep. if you like to drive, I recommend The Driver. And by the way, when you watch it, don't forget, The Driver came first. And that is a Twilight Time release, which means that you can only get it by going to ScreenArchives.com. Only 3,000 copies available, by the way. So, you know what? Uh, hey, 3,000 people from our podcast, you have a chance to buy that. And then uh, it's all but gone. But they're not numbered. They're not numbered. But there's only 3,000 available. It's a limited edition release at ScreenArchives.com. Uh, God's Little Acre is an Olive Films uh, release. And uh, this is one I did not expect to see at any time in my lifetime, really. It's, this is one of those weird little, like, 50s-era also-ran movies uh, starring Tina Louise, of all people. And, you know, people are, who've ever watched Gilligan's Island, they, they wondered, like, Tina Louise, has she ever done anything other than Gilligan's Island? Yes, she did quite a few films, actually, before in the 1950s. And this is one of them. And uh, also in this, believe it or not, I mean, this is just like this bizarre cast. Robert Ryan, Buddy Hackett, and Jack Lord and a young Vic Morrow. What? All in the, in the same movie. It's like crazy, right? Uh, directed by, of all people, Anthony Mann. Great film noir director who, of course, uh, most famously started Spartacus and then got fired and was replaced by the young Stanley Kubrick whose career uh, was on the ascent as Anthony Mann's was on the decline. Um, anyway, God's Little Acre is, uh, is, a, is a pretty sharp movie based on an Erskine Caldwell um, novel that just kind of got lost somewhere, and uh, it's uh, it, it's all kind of it takes place in rural Georgia. It's got a real um, "To Kill a Mockingbird" kind of feel to it, to be honest. And uh, it would make an interesting, uh, you know, double feature with that, to be honest. Um, it, uh, it, it everything dealing with that era in Georgia, the, you know, sharecropping and the all the the, the small town. The dismal, dirty, small-town politics of, of families and, you know, corrupt uh, officials. And it's, it's just, it, it kind of is a snapshot of all of that in a really great way that doesn't feel like a soap opera. 
and uh, the mechanics of the characters are really interesting. It's really well shot and really nicely put together, and just completely fell between the uh, the cracks for the longest time. So it's a it's a great um, it's a great find by Olive and really well done. Beautiful on Blu-ray, terrific transfer. 1958's God's Little Acre with a gorgeous gorgeous um, uh, Tina Louise. Michael Landon's in this too, by the way. Oh wait, from 1954, a movie that when I when it uh, when I opened up the box and saw what this uh, saw this DVD, I thought, wow, Gay Vengeance. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Did you think the same thing? Yeah. Said Gay Vengeance. Yeah. It's actually Cry Vengeance, yeah. way not Gay Vengeance. Oh, it is Cry Vengeance, and uh, I make fun, even though the film is actually very good. Uh, this is from 1954. It's been a little bit forgotten. It's got a uh, bit of a no-name cast: uh, Martha Heyer, Skip, Homenter, Joan Vores. But it's an interesting movie. It's directed by Mark Stevens. Uh, it is about a, uh, a detective from San Francisco who uh, is released from prison for a crime he didn't commit. Uh, he had wronged this mobster, and the mobster, like, you know, it, it, uh, the mobster killed his uh, wife and kid, and the cop was deformed. So now he gets out of oh prison. Oh, my gosh. And so now he gets out of prison after, uh, after three years. And what does he want, Wade? He wants revenge. Cookies. He wants cookies. <laughs> he wants chocolate malted. He wants chocolate malt sandwich cookies. He wants cookies. Um, he wants revenge, and he's going to get it in uh, in uh, Cry Vengeance. This is an interesting film. This film actually, you know, I'm watching this movie. I'm thinking, I'm moderately surprised that this thing uh, passed the uh, the censors of the time. It's um, I have to say it's pretty yeah. uh, pretty out there. Yeah, I and mean, the guy's like totally scarred, and the guy totally wants vengeance, and because again, again, because it's. It's the time of the production code. You know he's going to get the vengeance, but I'm actually uh, surprised. Uh, this film is pretty gritty for uh, for its time. So it's Cry Vengeance, and uh, it's a good film from 1954. You know that would be a great movie for a movie title. Get the vengeance. Just go get it. Get the vengeance. Go out to the shed. Get the vengeance. It's a great one. All right, I'm going to blow through some Warner Archive titles here. Uh, as we've mentioned many times, Paramount has uh, dumped a lot of their old classics onto uh, Warner Brothers and said, you release them, we don't care about this crap anymore. And um, I'm just thrilled that Warner Brothers cares enough. A lot, these, are, these, all, these three have been out before. They are out once again now. They were Paramount releases previously. Now they are uh, Warner Archive DVD-Rs. The quality is exactly the same. One is The Miracle of Morgan's Creek, believe it or not, uh, the, the amazing Preston Sturges classic. Uh, Paramount doesn't care enough about this to uh, put it on Blu-ray, but they're going to let Warner Brothers do a DVD-R. It is a wonderful movie. Eddie Brack and Betty Hutton. Uh, Morgan Creek Entertainment as a company was named after this movie. The James Robinson. Uh, yes, 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 because uh, Joe Roth loves Preston Sturges. I mean, all of his companies have had a, a name that was a Preston Sturges connection. Now, by the way, that th this does not bode well for the old... Preston Sturgis DVDs collection. No. Which I have. Yeah. That does not bode well for that ever coming to Blu-ray. Never. Uh, another one which is a, a kind of a weird, funky movie. It's not a very good movie, but it's an interesting film. Franco Zeffirelli's uh, Brother, Son, Sister, Moon, which is this totally groovy 1973 movie uh, that is about Francis of Assisi, except it's done all kind of groovy 60s, 70s hippie style. And uh, it's really dated. Uh, Lena Wertmuller uh, co-wrote the screenplay, and uh, it's a decent script. It's just it's just groovy looking, and the whole thing kind of uh, feels a little bit too counterculture. Now this um, next one, uh, this next one started a bit of a phenomenon. Yeah, Jonathan Livingston Seagull, which was a huge thing when I was a kid. Um, it's about a seagull, and he 
flies around. around. That's it. <laughs> it's a seagull. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Uh, that's why they call it a visionary cinematic achievement of stunning beauty, because it's really just a seagull who's flying around. And the book was a, kind of a big deal with a lot of, uh, a lot of my uh, But the, that was the during, like, the Est era yeah. in the 70s. You know what I mean? There was a lot of hippie crap going on back then, I and know. people were believing all this hippie crap. And Jonathan Livingston Steagle was a very popular book yeah. about a seagull who flies around and has all sorts of Look, seagull thoughts, and they made it into a movie. made it into a movie. And the only thing that, that sustains the movie is a lot of Neil Diamond music, frankly. That's, that's the reason to see this. So that's out again. Uh, now, wait, of all those, only one of those is a must, and there it is yes. right there in your hand. The Great Santini? Oh, yeah. Seriously? You yeah. love The Great Santini? How can you not? It, it, you know, it's a good movie, but I think there's a couple other good ones in here, which I will name in just a moment. Great Santini is out uh, as a Warner Archive release. This is a uh, this has been out before. It's out again. And, uh, you know, Robert Duvall, terrific in this movie. He's really good. It is a good movie. It's a really good movie. Um, He's the world's worst father. Fantastic Elmer Bernstein music here, by the way. And then, um, by the way, the guy who directed this, Louis John Carlino, whatever happened to him? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Without Limits was one of two movies that came out right around the same time. This was the second one. Remember you were saying earlier two movies will come out and the first one will be the crap one. The second one's it. Yeah, this is one of two movies that came out about uh, the amazing, uh, extraordinary long, well, you know, middle distance runner, uh, Prefontaine, Steve Prefontaine. That's right. And the first one was called Prefontaine. Pre, yeah. And directed by Steve James of uh, Hoop Dreams fame and was, was uh, not so, so well received. This one uh, stars Billy Crudup in his first major role, written and directed by Robert Town. This is a really good movie. And um, I have a very interesting story about this. I wrote an, I wrote an interview. <laughs> no, I did a piece with uh, Robert Town and uh, went to his house and sat down and interviewed him. And the publicist actually had spilled the beans to him. It said, you know, Wade actually uh, thought uh, the, the acting in the other movie was better. And he's like, what? And <laughs> so as soon as I sit down, he loads up, the mo- he loads up footage of the real Steve Prefontaine, Prefontaine running. And then he loads up, you know, the footage in the movie. And he shows me where he intercut the real footage with the stuff of, uh, of Billy Crudup. And he goes, see, that's the real guy. That's Billy. That's Prefontaine. That's Billy. And he's giving me the A-B, right? Right there in his living room. And, uh, like, to prove to me it's a better performance. Now, why right. would the, now what was the publicist's game? In, in, in well, it, it was to, you know, I guess, I, I guess just to be overly honest. But anyway, it is a good film. And uh, he won me over. Donald Sutherland plays uh, his coach, the, uh, the father of Nike, right? The, the great, sure. you know. And uh, Monica Potter in one of her first uh, really, really great roles. And then the, uh, the other three, the other, uh, hang on, the other three that I've got here, Three Faces East, real quickly, uh, a Roy Del Ruth movie with Constance Bennett and Eric Von Stroheim from the uh, vintage year of 30, what year was this? 1930. Uh, you know, fun film, uh, not, not brilliant by any means, but uh, certainly, uh, you, you know, a nice, a nice kind of black and white intrigue, early, early talkie. The Hildegard Withers Mystery Collection. This is six films from the Hildegard Withers uh, collection of movies that were done for RKO, which were all, you know, mystery mystery things in the early sound era. Penguin Pool Murder, Murder on the Blackboard, Murder on the Honeymoon, Murder on the Bridal Path. The Plot Thickens, 40 Naughty Girls. And then lastly, uh, Marion Davies in Going Hollywood, uh, which was an early Bing Crosby movie. He is so young in this movie, it just, it, it, it's unreal. Um, again, not a great movie, but an interesting historical film that was done by Raoul Walsh for MGM uh, in 1933, and uh, another early talkie that has, uh, you know, a, a surprisingly cool bunch of little bit appearances by, you know, actors that you will recognize. Even if you don't know old movies, you'll recognize them. So that's it for our Warner Archive titles this week. Uh, Mark, we have some, uh, some before we clock out. Are we still out, going? 
Yeah, we got three or four more classics to talk about here. Tell them why they need to see Shane. You know, I, I rewatch. You I love rewatch Shane. Shane, <laughs> that kid is the worst. <laughs> he really is. I'm sorry. So. Yeah, he's awesome. <laughs> Shane. Shane is from 1953. It's an all-time <laughs> classic. It's a. It's out for the first time on Blu-ray. It's been on DVD before. Ooh, Sheriff and Helicopter. The, uh, the, the Blu-ray ports over the commentary from George Stevens Jr. and uh, the associate producer Ivan Moffat. And uh, look, this is George Stevens. This is his one of his, if not arguably his greatest film. Yeah. Six Oscars, six Oscar nominations, one win. It's a. Alan Ladd plays a gunfighter, and he visits this uh, homestead, and the homestead's being uh, terrorized. It's by, just a great uh, western. It's just talents, and <laughs> it's just and a great western. The homestead. They got this kid, and the. Shane. And the kid, the, the the kid loves Shane. He idolizes Shane. Looks up to Shane because you know Shane's he's such a Shane is such an earthy I great know. guy, and he just loves Shane. Shane. He, he loves Shane like 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 Lassie loved Timmy. I know. And it's just it's just a bit of a joke. I'm sorry. It's I know. like the worst thing in the world to say, but uh, it, it it is a classic, and it looks you know terrific. Totally. Uh, on Blu-ray for the first time, and so there you go. It's a classic. You got to see it to uh, kind of. It's gotta one of those films that it. if you're gonna. Say that you love movies, and yeah. you, if you're going to say that you're a scholar of older films, you've got to see Shane. You do. And you got to laugh at the kid. you got to laugh at the kid. <laughs> uh, Cavalcade. And I hate to say that, by the way, because, you know, I mean, it's Shane. It's classic. Cavalcade finally makes the Best Picture run complete. 1933 Best uh, Academy Award for Best Picture, um, which would have been, what, 1932 to 33? They were, like, bridging years at the time. Uh, you, you know what? This this thing is not a great film. This is a DVD Blu-ray combo set. It won three Academy Awards at the time: uh, director, art direction, and picture. Which nothing would ever win just those three anymore. But um, this is actually uh, a really, really good transfer. And uh, even though it's not a great film per se, uh, it's like an it's an epic film. But it, it, you know, it's a huge film. I mean, tons of actors and everything. It's just really a sprawling, sprawling historical period uh, thing. But uh, that being said, it, it, it's just it's nice to look at from a historical standpoint. You learn a lot listening to Richard Schickel's uh, commentary, and uh, that to me is like the the princely thing here. We we mock Schickel every once in a while for being a, a grumpy old man, but <laughs> seriously, the guy is a scholar, and I defer to him uh, endlessly. He has such a, a, a noggin full of uh, facts and figures and vast information on this movie. Uh, you know, it's it's wonderful. It's really wonderful to listen to. So, um, you know, it's the sprawling historical look at a family across all these events and history. And it uh, listen listen to the commentary. That's really what uh, the golden the golden stroke of that is. Uh, and then Greystoke, the Legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes, which Mark <laughs> seems to desperately want from me. No, I don't want. No, 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 no. <laughs> any 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 movie. I love this movie. Any, <laughs> I love this. Okay, movie. tell us tell us tell us two things. What. Tell us who dubbed Andy See, McDowell's I voice. I knew you were going to do that. Tell us who dubbed Andy McDowell's voice. <sighs> Go. I'm not going to do. It. Glenn, Glenn Close. Glenn and Close. Tell us the real the real meaning behind the co-writer, P. H. Vazic. That would be Robert Town, who we just talked about without limits. Uh, <laughs> no, no, a no, no, ago. no, 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 no. You 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 didn't say the whole thing. 
you realize that Robert Town was so unhappy with yes. Hugh Hudson's rewrite that he yes. wanted his name changed to the name of his sheepdog. <laughs> that is Robert Town's <laughs> sheepdog's name. Okay, who got credit as the writer of Braceton. <laughs> yeah, it's still a good film. It's a really good <laughs> film. You know what? It's a really good film. Directed by Hugh Hudson, who of course did Chariots of Fire. And uh, he brings all of that, that, classic, uh, that classic imprimatur to the story of Tarzan. It's the only legit story of Tarzan that's ever been put on film uh, uh, with you know, a surprisingly good uh, Christopher Lambert in his first big part playing Tarzan, you know, Lord of the Apes and uh, Lord Greystoke. I mean, this is the only thing I've ever seen that's, that was really faithful to the books. And uh, I appreciated that. I thought it was really well done. I, I love all the ape makeup, you know, by, uh, by Rick Baker. It's just beautiful. It's a wonderful film. Uh, this is uh, the latest in Warner Archives Blu-ray release series, which has included things like the Hudsucker Proxy recently. And, uh, it's, it, you know, you're going to need to go to warnerarchive.com to, uh, to order it. But, uh, you know, I worked as, as an usher during Greystoke, and it's theatrical release. And man, that thing on the on the big screen, 70 millimeter projection, was just it was gorgeous. And the the Blu-ray does it justice. It really does. I have to say, the best thing about this movie, despite everything else that's, that I think is really really good, the two contributions that I, I love the most, uh, John Alcott's cinematography. John Alcott, of course, of Stanley Kubrick fame, did an amazing job, beautiful job photographing this movie. And John Scott wrote a score that is one of the great all-time movie scores. It is just spectacular. So uh, highly recommended for me, despite all of the caveats like the dubbing of Andy McDowell by uh, Glenn Close and, and the sheepdog screenwriting credit. <laughs> And Mark. We have one criterion this week from yes. 1966 from John Frankenheimer, the uh, terrific Seconds. Now, Seconds, which good movie. Uh, it's a good movie. It, uh, it featured Rock Hudson in a very unusual role for him at the time, and he was very good in it. This movie, it's, it predates these sorts of films, but movies from the 70s, like The Terminal Man, yeah. uh, that were very sort of dystopian, and it would take like an individual and put him almost like Clockwork Orange also is one yeah. of these sorts of films. Uh, Seconds is about this uh, this banker, and he's bored with his life, and he wants a new life, so he decides to undergo this procedure that will give him a new life. And obviously, it's yep. an allegory for the you know post-war middle-aged boredom and whatnot. And but John uh, um, Rock Hudson's great in it. It's very Twilight Zoney if you want to kind of go there and uh, give it like a uh, an analogy that you guys might uh, kind of groove to. So Seconds with John Frankenheimer is Rock Hudson. It's got an audio commentary with director John Frankenheimer, who passed away a few years ago. Um, there's excerpts from this thing called Hollywood on the Hudson. It's a 1965 program featuring us on set footage and an interview with Rock Hudson. And it's a terrific film. It's a terrific film. Rock Hudson's great in it, and it's uh, totally cool mid-60s sci-fi. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Mark, we're done. Do we have a, do we have an outro that we're going to do this week? If you want to hit us with more outros, we're still Should considering them. Let's let's uh, let's try one of the outros. Gods at Digigods.com. Mail and outros and 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 uh, Vox boxes. We need Vox boxes. If you've never sent us a Vox box, don't don't be afraid. Send us a Vox box. Record yourself. Put yourself out there into the world. Uh, you're all social networking like crazy. You're putting pictures of yourselves naked out there. The least you can do is put your voice on our on our podcast. Mark, use an outro. Yes? Are you frozen? <laughs> Wait, give me the list. You have outro block? Give I'm not going to give you a list. You, 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 no, list. I want to use one of the ones that somebody sent Oh, my sent gosh. It. I put it over here. It's really taking all the fun out of the outro. Oh, outdoors. my gosh. You're going to make we, me... We, we can't... By the way, folks, oh. this outdoor show has been such a disaster. We are not prepared. We, we we're we're going to do it again. Are. We'll do it again next week. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll talk about it. Okay. We'll do it again next week. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Hold if, on. Here, if here. we can fix the problems this week, we'll, we'll do it again next week. Yes. Here we go. Here, there's some outros. And until next week... 
It's time to check the gate.